Hello, Nickelodeon fans, and welcome to This Week in Nickelodeon History. My name is Captain Eric, and we are covering all of the Nickelodeon shows that either started or ended between the times of November 14th to November 20th. Sorry about the delay for some of the episodes this week. Uh, getting getting on track, I, I've been usually, you know, uh, ahead a week or two with some of the recordings, but... Uh, lately with how much has been going on, especially around the holidays and everything that's going on on my end personally, um, it's it's been kind of having to record almost at the last minute. But the good news is I will have some time in the next few weeks to get through pretty much the rest of the year of episodes, so they should be coming out more on their on their scheduled days, um, which is is was normally supposed to be Mondays for the Squarecast, Wednesdays for this week in Nickelodeon history, and then obviously you can see how things like shift down. Um, but but there is always consistency, and honestly, with this week in Nickelodeon history, I really can't miss a week. So if you are a regular follower of the audio podcast, um, you know, thank you. You are much appreciated. Um, the, 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 these the episodes of this week in Nickelodeon history, I'm just trying to keep them a little bit more uh, low-key and uh, down-to-earth, less editing from my end, a little bit more personal than than just being the everyday, you know, just trying to be a showman on the uh, the square cast or trying to keep the energy up. This this one, the energy is great, but it's just more uh more more mistakes, less editing. That's that's what it's about. This uh, this podcast is evolving, but we are starting this week in Nickelodeon history. Three years ago, on November twentieth, two thousand eighteen, we had the final episode of Keep It Spotless. A competition program that ran from March 26th all the way to November 20th ran for 20 episodes. It was presented by Melissa Vanderschiff, directed by Peter Ney, and created by Simon Crosley. Um, what was the competition? The program features children contestants competing for cash prizes as they aim to keep themselves clean while they navigate and make their way around an obstacle course. Uh, keep it spotless. I get it. All right. So it's, it's a cleaning competition. That's smart. That's a smart idea. Um, you know what? Like have adults do this kind of competition, whether or not against kids or even just against other adults, like there should be a, a cleaning organizing type competition on, on ABC, CBS, whatever. Like that's that's a great idea because uh, there's some impressive pe like people who can organize in, in quick fashion out there. I'm sure you've seen at least one or two of these people pop up on Instagram or TikTok. And, and it's kind of impressive to see them do it. So I, I would like to see who, who the best in the country is at that. You could probably make an entire career after a, a career after being just like the first greatest organizer and like America's best organizer. Bear, America's best cleaner, what, what, whatever. He was one of those. Five years ago, on November 16th, 2016, we had the final episode of All In with Cam Newton. Once again, 20-episode run. This time, this show started on June 3rd, 
went all the way to November 16th was presented, of course, by Cam Newton. And uh, it's a it's about Newton helping kids accomplish their dreams. And, and the quote here is whatever their dream is, experts in that field are recruited to help them learn and get better at it. The show had uh, some special appearances by Lisa Leslie, Sutton Foster, Michelle Obama, and most importantly, Tom Kenny, voice of SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, look, love, love our first lady, Michelle, but hey, let's be real here in my, in my world, uh, Tom Kenny walking in the room is going to be the one that gets my attention. But I imagine that episode is somebody wanting to be a voice actor and, and you know, Hey, if it's a Nickelodeon show, who's the best voice actor you have on, on file, I, I gotta say it's Tom Kenny, at least given his, his range across a, a wide variety of, of movies, television and video games. Uh, the man is certainly versatile. I would say he, uh, I would say he's the goat of Nickelodeon currently. Uh, although the goat of voice acting, I don't know. That's that's really subjective, and there goes and there's there's people out there who have who have been you know in the anime dubbing world who have been doing it for twenty plus years and have hundreds of credits under their belt of different characters. Then you get into the people of video games and the amount of characters and, and air actors out there who have portrayed them. It's yeah, that's that's crazy. But at least for Nickelodeon, Tom Kenny, one of one of the big ones on there. So I, I'm sure hopefully that kid took some great advice from from Tom. But um nine years ago, on November second, two thousand twelve, we saw the premiere of Dead Time Stories a uh, an anthology fantasy series written by Annette Cascone and based off the book series of the same title created by Annette and Gina Cascone. So the uh, the book series Dead Time Stories got an 11 episode series that uh, aired in the United States from November 2nd, 2012 and went all the way to October 26th, 2014. As mentioned on last week's episode, 10 years ago, on November 11th, 2011, we had the final episode of SpongeBob's Runaway Road Trip, a five-episode, you know, this little anthology series that ran throughout the week of November 7th to November 11th. Five episodes, all kind of having to do with vacations and destinations and the episodes didn't follow one another you didn't have to watch them all in succession each one was kind of its own story but as a collection it was a nice little set of episodes 13 years ago on november 16th 2008 the rugrats preschool days had its uh u.s premiere on nickelodeon um now a year earlier on july 25th 2005 uh this spin-off series first premiered on the tales from the crib snow white and the tales from the crib three jacks and a beanstalk dvds uh, for those that have no idea what i'm talking about and that's all gibberish to you uh rugrats by the end of its run went into the market of making dvd uh, straight to dvd movies um it was it was pretty popular at the time to have like dvd um I mean, DVDs themselves were selling, but having, you know, DVD exclusive movies or, or you know, things like, like that were actually extremely popular for a long period of time. So after the Rugrats were kind of done, this was a way to, to prolong the series. So they created 
the Tales from the Crib series, which were going to just, you know, be the Rugrats. They were going to do with the Rugrats what they do with Tom and Jerry these days, where they insert Tom and Jerry into a known story. Um, Now, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk and Snow White, I mean, very famous characters have done riffs on these properties before. Mickey Mouse comes to mind with the Jack and the Beanstalk one, that classic uh, short. Um, Snow White has been done to death by, by, you know, parodied at least by so many other cartoons, even Rugrats themselves with the Finsterella episode. But, um, you know, it's an, it's not a concept that is interesting to me. I love the Rugrats, but I don't necessarily like, yes, within their episodes when they use their imaginations and their, their day-to-day life is then, you know, brought into a bigger world. Those are great. But those are great in small segments, you know, for example, you know, we'll get into a a really good example later on talking about it. But um, the beginning of the Rugrats movie with the Indiana Jones setup, that is fantastic because it's a setup. If it's an entire movie like that, where it's it's like the babies are in a legitimate action movie. I don't know. I, I, when there's not real, I don't know, when there's not real stakes, it's not as, it's not as fun. I, I don't know. Maybe there's some gold to come from that kind of content, but it was never interesting for me. We went off a tangent there, but anyway, they, they had these straight to DVD movies and on these DVDs, they had episodes of this spinoff series, Rugrats, Angelica and Susie's Preschool Days. Uh, or or preschool days. I know that in some places it was actually the actual title was Angelica and Susie's preschool days. D A Z E, by the way. Now this concept was taking the idea of a younger Angelica and Susie and putting them in preschool. It's not taking our babies and aging them up, although that would be an interesting concept. Instead of doing, well, All Grown Up is interesting on its own, but imagine taking Tommy, Chucky, Phil, Lil, Kimmy, and Dill and putting them in preschool. That's an entirely new element, and you can still have them as, you know, relatively young kids, babies even. Um, But no, this was all about Angelica and Susie. The art style of this spinoff is also a little bit different from the main Rugrats series. Uh, I I guess in a way how Camp Coral, you know, you can tell it's SpongeBob, but it clearly is different. It's kind of like that. Like you can, when you see Angelica and Susie, like you can tell it's Rugrats, but it's, it's a bit different. They tried something different. It really didn't work. Only four episodes of this show were created as a, as a bit of a concept Oh, they went clearly went past more than a pilot. So if you, you know, more than a, one episode was created. Uh, the big thing I would say that was great about this was the use of Harold, who was an all grown up, you know, he was an all grown up as, as Angelica's friend. And, and here he's, he's used a bit more as comedic relief and, and that I always enjoyed. But uh, uh, Savannah also, they used a lot of the all grown up teenagers to build the cast of preschoolers so savannah and harold characters from all grown up were were preschoolers in the show it's pretty cool for world building to to you know make everything kind of cohesive but the the change of art style is really jarring and i and i think what really 
I probably would ultimately uh, hurt it. Um, but 15 years ago, on November 14th, 2006, we had the final episode of As Told by Ginger. As Told by Ginger was created by uh, Emily Kapnick and was a show right out of the Klasky Chupo uh, animation studio. Uh, so it had a very Klasky Chupo, you know, specific art style, uh, which, by the way, since since we're bringing that up, uh, uh, Arlene Klasky and Gabar Chupo were the creators of Rugrats preschool days as well. Um, but here we have Emily Kapnick running this series, which uh, is is a slice of life Nickelodeon drama. Um, there is certainly comedy to be found in this show and a lot of it. A lot of the characters are, are very quirky and. Uh, and, and comedic. And so when I say drama, I definitely don't want to make it sound like there aren't any laughs, but there is a significant amount of continuity in this episode. Uh, characters remember things. Actions are remembered. And if you follow the show and pay attention to it, you can certainly find reasons as to why characters act the way they do towards other characters and and things things are remembered there's a really significant amount of continuity throughout that show an impressive amount of continuity uh so much that i think if you maybe watched one or two season one episodes and decided oh, i'll watch a season three episode you would you would not that you would be like lost but there would definitely be some things that have changed in in the world. It's like a soap opera. You got to pay attention to each and every episode. Um, this is a really, to me from beginning to end, uh, it's one of the unsung backbone underappreciated Nicktoons ever. Um, there have certainly been dramatic moments and serious moments and, and serious topics tackled in Nicktoons, but, for a show to have a a beginning, a middle, and an end, and to and to have that kind of level of continuity, and for Nickelodeon to let it just flow and exist, uh, and and so that it was able to tell the story it did is is remarkable. And there are not as many dramatic Nicktoons. Like of course we we then got Avatar and Korra, and more since then of that have dealt with dramatic themes, but this. This is a this is a good one. If you have not watched uh, this show, g give it a watch. It is well worth a watch. There's a lot there. Um, I I there was a lot of the third season I missed, but I then you know when I found out that the finale legitimately had a time jump at the end. Spoiler warning. I mean, it's been out for 15 years, but um, I I went back and and watched that time jump and and felt like wow you don't really kind of see this this kind of finality in many Nicktoons and to see one it was a very uh it's very cool moment I'm glad they I'm glad they got to have that in there um makes me makes me think of the Angry Beavers not getting their true final moment which is a bit unfortunate 16 years ago on November 26th 2005 Skyland premiered on the Nicktoons network Created by, and I, I apologize if I happen to butcher any of these names, uh, this was a show made in France. Um, its original language is is French, um, and uh, it's it was created by Emmanuel Gorenstein. 
Alexander de la Patelier, and Matthew de la Porte. It's the best I can do at this moment in time. Um, but yeah, uh, Skyland ran for two seasons of 26 episodes and and was Nicktoons Network. It, when they first premiered this, it felt like an event. It felt like a big deal because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there was a TV movie portion first or uh, yeah, 60 minute worldwide premiere on November 26, 2005. Um, and and throughout like the next few days, they re-aired that 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 hour Skyland pilot like so many times. It felt like a big deal. And then when the, the you know there was going to be a show continuation following this, uh, it was it was a pretty like you know there was a few other students at the time in school who also watched some of the original shows on Nicktoons Network. Uh, some fellow classmates of mine, and I remember that there was a few that were really into Skyland. I personally didn't get into it as much, but there uh, sometimes when it was on, I definitely did check it out and I, I enjoyed what I saw. Um, so if, if there's a way to view that show, give it a watch. It's, it's well worth at least that, that first, that first episode, that first 60 minutes are really cool. Definitely give that one a shot. Um, Moving on to a pretty significant one, but 17 years ago, on November 19th, 2004, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie premiered in the United States, a movie that was directed by Steven Hillenburg, based on a screenplay by Derek Dryman, Tim Hill, Steven Hillenburg, Kent Osborne, Aaron Springer, and Paul Tibbet, with the story being from Steven Hillenburg. It was produced by Steven Hillenburg and Julia Pistor. Uh, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie was made on a $30 million budget and made $141.1 million at the box office. A massive success and and one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, it's, I mean, it, when do you ever have a show that have just three seasons that knock it out of the park one by one and then have a movie like this. The SpongeBob SquarePants movie is legitimately good. You you don't have to be a fan. You don't have to watch a single ounce of the SpongeBob TV show to be able to sit down and watch this movie and enjoy the story, laugh at the jokes that just knock it out of the park or kill her each and every time. The characters, the cameo by David Hasselhoff, always great. Um, there's so much about this movie that is good. And even if you forced negativity out of it, it's like the Strangler punching SpongeBob. It's it's useless because ultimately there's really not much to be negative about this movie other than the lack of Sandy. That's like the one thing that anytime I watch it, I walk away going like, wow, she was really relegated to literally two lines, it felt. So uh, I, I wish there was more Sandy. But beyond that, the jokes of this movie still land and, and make me laugh 17 years later. Um, I saw this movie on opening day with my father. Uh, at our local theater and earlier that year at the kids choice awards i remember they had a little teaser uh for the spongebob movie and uh they first had the date 
of, of November 19th. And I remember going to the calendar and counting the days until that movie and then writing on a whiteboard in our kitchen how many days it was until the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. And, you know, for a little bit, I would was on it on a daily basis and then would, you know, ever so often would, would change it. But I was really excited for it and, it, and it certainly did not disappoint. The only thing that I could really be disappointed at is that uh, because uh, of my age at the time, didn't really have a lot of money to go to the movie theaters a lot. So I'm disappointed I didn't get to see this in theaters more. For example, when the Simpsons movie came out, I not only had a job, but then could drive myself to the movie theaters to, you know, without anyone else. And I saw that movie three times in theaters. I wish I could have saw the SpongeBob movie in, in theaters three times, but uh, I have seen it now uh, in a drive through during the, during the pandemic uh, last year, there was a, a local drive through or not drive through a drive in, I didn't see it in a drive-thru. Could you imagine somebody like watching the SpongeBob movie on their phone just at the drive-thru and you're just sitting there watching with him? Um, no, it was a drive-in that had the SpongeBob movie, and I wasn't going to miss that. Uh, drive-ins can be really hit or miss with depending on the weather and bugs, but uh, certainly an enjoyable experience. I've seen it a ton of times on, on Blu-ray, on VHS, on DVD, it's it's a movie that I, it will stand the test of time. I honestly believe that if there was one thing out of the SpongeBob SquarePants franchise that I would say is above all, if you could line up every video game, mo movie, TV episode, I, to me, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie is is the one. It is the star on the top of that tree. Um, yeah, absolutely love it, and of course. Uh, I love that I'm still a part of the SpongeBob SquarePants movie Rehydrated Project. Uh, don't mind plugging that here. Uh, head over to, to YouTube. Check out the new trailer for the for the movie. Um, I, I can't wait until you see it. I'm, I'm in the movie a, a few times. I would love if anybody can can figure out where I'm at in that movie. But uh, but I can't wait for everybody to see that. And we're going to hit a twofer here. Uh, a, a Rugrats twofer because November was was the Rugrats month to release these movies. First off, 21 years ago on November 17th, 2000, Rugrats in Paris the movie premiered in the United States. Directed by Stig Berquist and Paul Dem Demier, the movie was written by J. David Stem, David N. Weiss, Jill Gorey, Barbara Hendorn, and Kate Boldier. And uh, it's obviously based on, on the Rugrats television show created by Arlene Klasky, Gabar Chupo, and Paul Germain. Uh, the movie was made for a $30 million budget and made $103.3 million at the box office. Uh, I I love Rugrats in Paris the movie. A lot of people say it's it is their favorite out of the Rugrats trilogy of movies. Um, I I usually tend to disagree with that, and will I will be able to to open up that can of worms in a little bit. But on its own, the movie is incredibly enjoyable. It's nice to see the Rugrats really out of their element, not just out in the woods, but in in a completely different country. Um, not only that, we get to see this this pretty amazing Reptar uh, amusement park 
which it's just incredible how how popular Reptar is in their world. Um, and we get to see poor, uh, almost poverty-stricken Stu Pickles apparently be like he's the linchpin behind this incredible technology that is so impressive like it's it's it, what's really impressive is just uh how poor this man is because with with the technology he's creating here this he would be the head of silicon valley it feels like it's just remarkable the the reptar machinery he built for this amusement park i mean the fact that babies were able to use it absolutely incredible um I love the intro of this movie, the the Rugrats 2 logo that was a play on the Godfather and bleeding into, you know, Angelica having watched the Godfather and then is is um is playing with the babies and acting like the Godfather. It that that's a really great opening. It's to goes right for the heartstrings because the movie is about Chucky and ultimately Chucky's lack of a mother which he finds in Kira who is a uh, is the villain's Coco Labouche's assistant um, who falls for Chaz Finster by the end. Spoiler warning. Um, but the, the, I absolutely adore this movie. It's it's a wonderful watch. There's not many times that we get a really detestable human villain like Coco. Um, so in that regard, and that's probably the reason why a lot of people prefer this movie, because there's a very clear antagonist and it's, it's not, you know, Angelica or anything like that. There's like a very clear villain at play clawing at Chaz Finster. And, uh, and ultimately, you know, we know how bad she is. So I, and especially the end with, with Chucky, saying his first words to his his father and stopping the wedding there, there's a lot to love here and it's certainly a big grand movie but um in my world it doesn't hold a candle to our uh last topic today one that premiered 23 years ago on november 20th 1998 the rugrats movie directed by igor kovalyov and Norton Virgin. The screenplay was written by David N. Weiss, J. David Stem, and is once again based off of Rugrats, created by Arlene Klasky, Gabar Chupo, and Paul Germain, who both produced this movie, uh, Arlene Klasky and Garber Chupo. Uh, the movie uh, was made on a $24 million budget and made $141 million at the box office, which, by the way, this was the very first non-Disney animated movie to make more than $100 million at the box office. A milestone that deserves to be remembered. The Rugrats were the first to, to outdo Disney or to do something that, you know, no one else other than Disney did. Th that is remarkable. It, it really, to me, like... Come on now, when when people talk about the 90s and don't scoff off that 90s nostalgia, look how important the Rugrats were for our generation, for that decade. I, I you know, 
I can't think of any other television cartoon that that you know unless you know we're really counting SpongeBob here. But as far as like that decade of the '90s, who who was really on top throughout that entire time? I, I gotta say it was the Rugrats. They really dominated our culture by the end there. Um, this movie, the reason why I I prefer this movie and and to me it sits above the rest is. When you're talking about a grand adventure up to this point, as a as a fan of the Rugrats, this this is the first time I saw a movie based off of a TV show that I was at, you know, was able to grow up with and follow. So by the time the movie had come out, I've seen every episode of the show, and the the stakes for this point never been higher. Literally, infants dropped in the middle of the woods. Now I know this isn't in Europe, but they were at an amusement park over in Europe. If the babies get lost, yeah, that's scary. But there's also a, a lot of ways that they could be, you know, safely found. I feel like being lost in the woods with, okay, maybe not a human villain, but a legitimate wolf, a legitimate threat. Like, I don't know. The the stakes really, to me, had never felt higher. And it felt like such a, a like a grand scale of a movie. And, and uh, Dill being an addition, a lot of people put the blame on Dill for derailing the Rugrats. Uh, Dill doesn't talk too much. He, he, you know, he's a very powerful character for this movie, especially the relationship that grows with Tommy. But in the grand scheme of things, he, he doesn't really change much. Of what's going on now the Rugrats are certainly at each other's throats for a lot of this movie but they were writing a big grand theatrical movie of of these characters and I don't know I, I watched this and it, and it just the 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 grand scale of that movie has still not worn off for me uh, and I'm not sitting there watching it thinking I'm watching it like in a movie theater but just watching it knowing its place and time and I, I played so much of that uh, Rugrats movie uh, PC game. Um, so much time devoted on the Rugrats web movie website and all of the PC games that are, are lost to time now. I remember one where you're you're going through the woods and you have to. There's like different dead ends where you you just run into the wolf and essentially game over. You die. But um, this this was just. It's one of my favorite Nickelodeon movies. It's it's not it would not fit in my top ten movies of all time. I don't know if it would fit in my top ten animated movies of all time. It would definitely fit in my top twenty five, maybe even top fifteen. But I I adore the Rugrats movie as so much so that if you were paying attention to any of my newest videos, I have a framed poster of the Rugrats movie directly behind me, right next to a framed poster of the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, uh, at least the teaser one, that theatrical poster with the Reptar Wagon, which by the way, the Reptar Wagon, one of the coolest, one of the coolest vehicles to exist. And uh, when is, when is Mark Roper, Mr. Beast gonna, gonna team up with the captain over here and, and make an actual Reptar Wagon, like a real working Reptar Wagon with the, with the Buster Rhymes sound effects coming out of it. Uh, maybe not an actual flamethrower if this thing is gonna is gonna be driven by kids, but a, a fake one would be nice. But can you imagine having this thing go into the water and go into amphibian mode? And and if hey look, if you're building this for a kid, I don't know. I think it's it's got to be realistic. We got to get on this right now. 
But uh, yeah, the Reptar Wagon, absolutely awesome uh, vehicle. Wonderful soundtrack from this movie. All, all the songs are absolutely fantastic, um, including the song On Your Marks, Get Set, Ready, Go by Busta Rhymes. Uh, check that song out. P- throw that in your next workout playlist. Let me just put that out there right now. There is so much more I, I could say about this movie, and I'm going to reserve a lot of that. Uh, simply because I, I have future plans on going into more of the Nickelodeon movies and more deeper aspects. And um, yeah, so I'll, there, there'll be more time to talk about the Rugrats movie. But uh, here we are all these years later, and it's still well worth a watch. All three of the last movies we just talked about all are well worth a watch. If you have Paramount Plus, check them out. If you, you know, if they're available in any other means, absolutely buy them on dvd i know in walmart they always sell the the rugrats trilogy set um dvd and now there's a spongebob movie trilogy set that you can get grab both of those and and watch the first movies watch rugrats in paris celebrate these anniversaries and uh and yeah thank you for joining me in this week in nickelodeon history once again my name is captain eric um if you enjoy any of the content i'm putting out audio video Check out our YouTube, check out the Twitter. But if you enjoy any of that, there is any way that you can support by liking, subscribing, sharing. It is 100% appreciated. And if you consider yourself a part of My Ready Crew, well, then welcome aboard. Uh, So this is This Week in Nickelodeon History. I'm signing off. We'll see you next week. Stay safe, everybody.